Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off in depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, David Lumley highlights his president's page from March's The Leading Edge titled Geophysics and Sustainability. In this timely conversation, David and I discuss the future of geophysics education, areas the SEG could develop to continue to support the science, how climate change might impact the industry, and David's proposal for a new name for SEG. David Lumley holds the Cecil and Ida Green Endowed Chair in Geophysics and serves as the Director of Seismic Imaging and Inversion Lab at the University of Texas at Dallas. He currently serves on the SEG Board of Directors and won the J. Clarence Karcher Award in 1996. Let's start this important conversation. So your president's page appears in March's The Leading Edge. It's titled Geophysics and Sustainability. And in terms of your article, what does sustainability represent for you? Well, I think of sustainability as a, a way of thinking. It's a way of managing systems so that they're going to be ongoing, self-sustaining processes. Uh, in contrast to another way of thinking, which is to go into one topic or area, deplete all the resources, and then move on to the next area. In the past, I think we've kind of operated that way because population was small and the earth was big, but that's changing now. And so if you keep following that process of depleting resources in one area and moving on to the next, we're going to run out. And that could be natural resources, but it could also be anything you want to think of, really. So I, 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 make it, I always carry a nice analogy in my head about forestry sustainability in forestry is is kind of about farming trees uh, instead of just chopping down all the trees uh, until they're gone. So uh, those concepts, both of them apply in things we do in uh, geophysics. And, and as uh, I stated at the outset of my article, I'm thinking about sustainability in, a, in multiple dimensions. So about our discipline in geophysics and our expertise. I, I think it's important we sustain that because we have a, a lot to offer to society. I think about education and training programs, particularly since I'm uh, in a university, we wanna sustain those programs for people who wanna learn about geophysics and go out in the world and use it. It's, it's no good if our programs crash and burn. <laughs> And then, you know, we don't have anybody coming through the pipeline to learn all this cool stuff. And then that, that sort of moves right over to professional societies, maintaining and sustaining our research and development of all the amazing new technologies we really develop, you know, have developed over the years and still are. They're of tremendous benefit to society whether people realize that or not. So, uh, and those things provide exciting and rewarding career paths which is very important, I think, for people interested in science and physics and the earth. Not only sustainable natural resources, but the environment, climate, all, all kinds of things. We're, we're faced with a number of global challenges facing humanity, and geophysics actually has a role to play in, in usually the, the top five challenges that, that appear on those 
lists. So then it becomes very important for SEG to think about in a sustainable way about its mission, its membership, its programs, and its services. There's a lot in that response I, I want to unpack. Uh, I want to start with, you mentioned you know, your current role at the University of Texas at Dallas. And as you said, you outlined several areas in the article where you're considering sustainability and applied geophysics. So zeroing in on two of those, you mentioned you know, sustainability of our geophysics educational programs and universities and professional organizations like the SEG. If you could just expand your thoughts on how those two areas in particular could foster sustainability for geophysics in the years ahead. How do you see these two areas helping out the, the field in the, in the years ahead? Right. Well, on the educational side, you know, if you think in the broadest terms, geophysics is a combination of earth science physics, math, and computation. And, and we're really quite a unique science that combines all of those diverse things. On the educational side, we, we need to broaden our scope or make sure to keep a broad scope to address things that involve all of those, or science, physics, math, and computation. And, and of course, energy is a huge one. It, it has been for a century and, and even arguably longer, but, and that not only includes fossil fuel energies, which are still dominant today and, and I think will likely take at least a generation to, to transition away from if that's the way things are going. But there's other types of energy source too. There's hydro, hydroelectric, there's wind, solar, nuclear, lots of different types of energy and new energy sources being developed. And I think what we often don't focus on is that all of those types of energy sources have an impact on the land, the earth, the environment. I mean, whether it's a solar, a solar farm is changing the temperature through introducing shaded areas, you know, the near surface ecosystem, wind farms, you know, there's a, there's a lot of interest around how to develop efficient wind farms, windmill farms, because it involves fluid flow and things like that. You know, once you put some, some windmills in, you change the fluid flow. Well, as geophysicists, we know a lot about these things, fluid flow and changes in the near surface and so forth. And so I think we need to broaden our scope at universities and other educational um, environments to be thinking about geophysics, particularly applied geophysics, in those, those broadest scopes. And in addition, I would say we really need to start thinking about the environmental impact of everything we do, whether it's energy or anything else. And as soon as you start, you know, looking at things that way, then you say, okay, we might work on this type of energy or this water resource. But if we think about what's the potential environmental impact, it's certainly going to involve geophysics. It involves other sciences too, water chemistry, geology, and things like that. But it certainly is going to involve geophysics. And I don't think we're really thinking about that. So we, we need to kind of regather our thoughts on the educational side and think in these broader concepts and 
And that will lead to maybe something that might be called a sustainable geophysics degree. So I'm thinking about these things a lot because in universities, earth sciences are viewed as a very old science. And sometimes, you know, people think because it is such an old science, uh, there's nothing really new going on compared to, say, biotech or now or something. But really, it's even more important in our in my mind. And, but we just need to repackage the program and think about all the different ingredients that need to go into an applied geophysics degree to make, and I think sustainability will be a big part of that. Well, speaking of sustainability and, and what you mentioned in that first response of how applied geophysics is really addressing some of these major issues that the entire earth is facing, what role can applied geophysics play in mitigating climate change? In terms of mitigating climate change, you know, the way I see things is, is climate change is a, itself is a fundamental science study, and it involves lots and lots of disciplines, not just atmospheric. And, but the flip side of it is the applied science side, which is what are we going to do about it? The climate is changing, and I, I'm not so interested in getting into arguments about what exactly is changing it and what proportion is man-made and what proportion is natural and so forth. Those are pretty complicated questions in my mind. But certainly the climate is changing, and so how do we mitigate against climate change? So one of the big ways is hardening our cities, our infrastructure, etc., against climate change. So, so climate change is surely going to bring, and, and many already believe is bringing, extreme weather events, sea level rise, more flooding, fires, etc. They've been in the news a lot. And so I think for me, the issue is how do we protect and harden our cities and infrastructure against such climate change? Well, those type of things often involve under, having a better understanding of the near surface in terms of soil, shear strength, shallow water flows, etc. If you're gonna, if you're gonna build and harden an infrastructure or a city against these extreme climate change events you're really talking about the interaction between the climate and the Earth's surface there. And so I think a, a really great example is the U.S. military, and, and not many people know this, but they're just quietly staying out of the argument about climate change, and they're spending billions of dollars to upgrade their sites because most military sites are along coastlines for, for various good reasons. And they know that uh, they'll be out of operation if they, if they don't protect those sites and, and strengthen them, harden them against sea level rise, storms, hurricanes, et cetera, et cetera. And it's also true on the interior. So I think that's a really interesting thing. And surely uh, doing a good job of that is very important. Hurricanes is another one. So we, we've seen that. In Houston, uh, on the on the east coast of the U.S. recently, and other parts of the world, you know, we we need to find ways to protect cities and towns 
from those type of extreme events and then remediate them afterwards. And some cities that, that are already kind of tired of this after a decade or more that are are considering moving a lot of parts of their cities, you know, not allowing people to rebuild in the damage zones and moving them. Well, it seems to me that's we've got a, a big role to play in a lot of that climate change mitigation activity. You know, kind of uh, notwithstanding spreading the varieties of applied geophysics, maybe within, you know, something like the SEG or, or geophysicists already, what what ways could we reach to expand the public's awareness of what applied geophysics can do in these variety of issues that you've already talked about? Right. Well, actually, our our professional and scientific societies have a huge role to play there. And that's part of what I'm thinking about, you know, with SEG and, and SEG in a sustainable manner. And so part of our mission should be not only educating and training our, our own membership and supporting them, but educating, you know, society at large about these issues, some of these important issues and challenges facing humanity and what, how we contribute or, or participate in addressing those issues. And so, you know, the energy one we said is a big one, but there's some other things that, that minerals, for example, I mean, there's a, there's a, a segment of SEG membership that's involved in mineral exploration and production. And I think most people tend to think of that as traditional minerals. But uh, the hot thing right now is is around strategic, what are called strategic minerals. And these include rare earth minerals and things like lithium. And lithium is needed to support all types of renewable energy sources and power storage, batteries, electric vehicles, etc. And so and, and, you know, we could go on and on down that path. So I think, I think that's what I see as a huge opportunity for STG. If it can pivot and kind of uh, broaden its scope from where it is today, which is, um, you know, more than half of the membership is employed by the petroleum industry. And that's great. I don't think that's going away for a long time. But I do think over time, it is going to shrink. And so we need to expand our focus, uh, both for our own membership, but also our outreach to society about these other important areas and how geophysics specifically can and, and is helping in some of the areas. GWB, so Geophysics Without Borders, is a fantastic program that SEG has operated for, I think, about 10 years now. It's mostly focused on helping small communities in third world countries find clean drinking water and agricultural water and so forth. It's just a, it's just a great example. It's wonderfully uh, successful. I think there are several other things we, and the public sees it, I think there are several other things we could do in some of these other areas involved with climate hazards, geotechnical, et cetera, have spin-off programs like, like GWB 
but in these other areas that bring the public together with our science. You know, you mentioned that 50%, a little over 50% of the SDG membership comes from the oil and gas industry. Just kind of putting your uh, prediction hat on, where do you see as possible, you know, one or two areas of growth for applied geophysics in the future where maybe, you know, this field is going to start taking up double digit percentage of SEG membership or, you know, maybe start to push up against oil and gas as the primary membership base for something like the SEG? Well, you know, I've been looking a lot at the, uh, projections for job growth and things like that over the next 20 years that are published by various government agencies. And what's interesting is things like environmental geoscience, let's say, renewable or alternate forms of energy, and even space sciences, planetary sciences, are right at the top of the list of the predictions for job growth in the, let's say, in the more comprehensive, uh, anything to do with their science. So I think there's there's going to be a lot of job growth in, in the renewable energy sector just because there's going to, you know, there's already a shift to renewable energy. It's It's a lot smaller than people think, but in terms of the whole makeup, but it's, you know, the trend is clear and, and the social viewpoints are also shifting. So, and all of those things like hydroelectric, wind, solar, there's some new types of nuclear being developed. Yeah, they all have an impact on the land and they're going to need earth scientists and applied geophysicists who are not only earth scientists, but very good physicists, mathematicians and and computationally, you know, there's going to be job growth there certainly water resources, clean drinking water, agricultural water, uh, industrial water. There's a growing huge demand for water resources uh, because we're we're kind of still existing in that old mode of let's deplete a resource until it's gone and then look for another one somewhere else. And that is not sustainable at all. And then, of course, uh, there's always been activity in environmental for the, for the past probably since the 70s i would say 1970s but it's it's been a slow a slow growth in terms of jobs and and things like that but it's there but i my sense is com- combining environmental issues like contaminants monitoring contaminants remediation and things with climate mitigation you know the hardening of cities and infrastructure and things like that i think that that that's going to take off a lot in terms of uh, job growth. What would you say are one or two steps SEG could take in the next one to two years to begin addressing the changing industry as you see it? Yeah, I think there are two really big items. And one is to invest in and broaden our SEG's scope to truly cover all of applied geophysics as a holistic applied science and a profession. And I don't think we're there now. I mean, we do have a a mix, but we're, you know, dominated by petroleum energy. And then we have a mix of a variety of things in the 
smaller percentages. So I think we really need to think broadly and invest in those things as, as applied geophysics. In fact, I've been recently, uh, past couple of years, proposing we should change the name of the society. Uh, the name is Society of Exploration Geophysics. Even within the petroleum industry, there are many geophysics members of SEG who are not involved in exploration per se. They're they're involved in development or monitoring or production or other areas, you know, and that's just within the petroleum sector. And then there are all these other members that are, you know, involved in water and environment and, and other things. So I actually think we should change our name to Society of Applied Geophysics. That acronym is not the best acronym, <laughs> SAG. <laughs> But I think we could add an E on the end of that, either a small E for geophysics, GE there, or something else, and maybe call it SAGE. But anyway, I I think we're ready for a name change in the society and revamp our SEG's mission and strategy at the highest level to broaden. And then the second thing is, uh, which is the topic of our discussion today, is really to think more in sustainable terms for everything we do in applied geophysics. And that's a state of mind and a way of thinking. And I think if, if we can do that instead of the, you know, exhaust the resource sort of mentality, SEG will continue on as an important and vibrant society for many, many decades. Well, it's a good conversations to have as SEG is at 90 years. So, you know, looking at what's ahead in the future for the society, it's a good time for that. Yeah, I want to close with a, a couple more general questions. You know, you are known for your pioneering work in the area of 4D seismic monitoring. You've received the J. Clarence Karcher Award from the SEG. You're on the SEG Board of Directors currently. You know, given your success in this field, what one piece of advice would you offer someone that would like to succeed as an applied geophysicist? Well, I would advise them to do something that they love to do. Because if, if, if you find something that you've got passion around and you love to do it, it doesn't feel like work at all, <laughs> first of all. So you're going to end up putting a ton of time into it because you love doing it. And you'll be successful at it because if you really, if you really love doing something, uh, you're going to get good at it and better and better and better. And the next thing you know, you might find yourself being an expert in that area. And I would have to say that that's, that's what happened to me. I didn't start off as, as the world's expert in anything. I just was really fascinated with things and, and, time-lapse things about the earth are very fascinating to me because we, we just, I mean, every day I'm still learning something new about things that change in the earth, whatever they might be. And so, yeah, you follow your passion, something you love to do, and you're, you're going to exceed at it for sure. And, and closing this, if, if you could solve just one mystery as a geophysicist, what would you solve? Well, I'm, I'm, I actually, I did my bachelor's degree in a small department at the University of British Columbia, and, but it was small, but very high quality. And the department was actually geophysics and astronomy. And they had a viewpoint there. And I learned that viewpoint early on from, from them, which is 
you know, geophysics is you, you start from planet Earth, but you kind of work your way out to the planets and then out into space through the astronomy and astrophysics side of things. That was actually a wonderful education experience for me, and it's, it's kind of influenced me through my whole career. So right now I'm, I'm working on a project I have been the past few years, and it's around uh, gravitational waves. And gravitational waves, you know, astrophysical gravitational waves. So there was a big splash in 2016 that hit all the newspapers. The first gravitational event was detected and discovered actually in 2015, but it took a while to confirm it. It was published in 2016. And um, gravitational waves are caused by large mass events. Uh, like the merger of two black holes, and they send out a wave, essentially, a gravitational wave that stretches and squeezes the fabric of time. They're very difficult to to measure, particularly on Earth, because, and, and one of the biggest noise factors is, turns out to be ambient seismic noise, because ambient seismic noise that's just washing around the Earth continuously from teleseismic earthquake waves that are still ringing around the earth, sometimes years after large earthquakes, those waves are ringing around the earth. Ocean storms couple to the seafloor and cause ambient seismic noise. There's lots and lots of sources. So um, we're working, and we just recently received a a million-dollar grant to deploy a a really beautiful uh, seismic array, and we're working on it now hope to deploy it in Australia later in this year to really to really capture and measure all the ambient seismic noise wave fields that impinge on a certain site where there's a test uh, gravitational wave detector if we could do that and re- essentially measure and therefore reduce the amount of ambient seismic noise at these uh, gravitational wave sites. LIGO are the two famous ones in the US. There's only four in the world right now. If we could do that, instead of detecting, right now they're detecting, it's not published, but they're detecting a gravitational event on the order of once every week or two. And they're not confirmed either, but that that's about the order. If we could imp- reduce the ambient seismic noise level or even better use our measurements of ambient seismic noise to a to in a feedback loop to adjust the uh, enhance the detectors then we might be detecting one every day or every hour or every minute and that would change that would basically introduce a whole new area of science much much like uh, radio astronomy was invented, it would be gravitational wave astronomy, and it it would just allow us to explore parts of the universe and image things that we we have no other way of measuring right now. So that's uh, that's kind of my fun projects on the at nights and on the weekends, which is not <laughs> not exactly my mainstream. Uh, <laughs> geophysics role but it's totally cool so that that's what i would choose as (laughs) as the big mystery if i could help contribute to solving that that would be wonderful 
Well, I, I best of luck on that research. Uh, <laughs> it's an exciting time. It sounds like for you as you just got that grant. And thank you for sharing a little bit more about your article that appears in March is the leading edge in the president's page. And thank you for taking the time to write about it. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity to talk about it. It's always fun to talk about things that you like doing. Thank you for listening to SEG's flagship podcast. Please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this episode. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. Go to our website at seg.org forward slash podcast to find all our episodes and learn how you can listen to this podcast directly on your phone without downloading an app. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Crockett, Allie McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.